Hello everyone, Tom Craig here, welcome to my podcast. It's called The Help Side, where not only do I play some funky intro music, but I also speak to some of the most recognisable names in world hockey. Now The Help Side is a term in hockey that refers to the other side of the pitch, away from where the ball is and the action happens. And in the same way, the aim of this podcast is to give you, the listener, an insight into the other side of elite hockey players to hear about their highs, their lows, what makes them tick, and the journeys they go on from starting out as kids through the achievement at the pinnacle of our sport, be it success at the World Cup or Olympic Games. Whether you're a player, a coach, an umpire, a parent, a fan, or just a fan of sport in general, I'm hoping this podcast gives you a window into the world of elite athletes, and even better, encourages you to get more involved in our great sport. Without much further ado, I'm going to introduce the first guest to my little show. Goes by many names Jeremy, Nuff Dog, Haywood, J Dog, Jerry Boy. That's all I got. Today we're going to the help side of Jeremy Haywood. Haywood for a second. Into the net it goes. Oh, it's Haywood. Oh, it's eight. It's Haywood again. A double. Five for Australia. Two for Jeremy Hayward. Utter domination from the men in gold. Well, he's a big, tough, strong, athletic defender and a deadly penalty corner drag flicker. Over the past five years, Jerry Boy has been one of the mainstays in the lineup of the Australian men's hockey team, the Kookaburras. Moreover, Jerry has enjoyed plenty of success in the international arena, winning gold medals at the World Cup and the Com Games. Not bad for a kid from the NT. But it hasn't all been plain sailing for Jerry. In this interview, we talk about the challenges of relocating to Perth as an 18-year-old, the disappointment of the 2016 Olympic campaign, as well as what it's like to live with a partner who's also an elite hockey player. Jez is honest, reflective, and as you'll hear, a very funny guy with a great sense of humour. I hope you enjoy the help side of Jeremy Hayward. Jez, are you there? Tuning in, Tom. Excellent. I need you more than shoot in. I need you to contribute. This is this is about you today. Okay. How you been? Yes, no. Different. Been good. Different scenery. Yeah, it's different. I'm stuck at home with my beautiful partner Brooke. Um, if we come out, if we come out this together, <laughs> I think we'll be doing bloody well, or really well. Sorry. Is that a prospective proposal? Is that what you're saying? Well, we've um, we've had a. I'm sure this is the case with all all relationships now, but um, yeah, we've had our little fights, we've had our separation time, but we're doing all right. Maybe I should run some sort of like relationship advice show, and you can be a co-host. And people sign up for money. It's there'd be thousands of people sign up. <laughs> thousands of people for your advice. Right, all right, we're gonna dive into it, okay? With something okay. topical. It's no surprise. Mm-hmm to many people that the 2020 Olympics has been postponed. That's no longer groundbreaking news. But what people don't know is the way it was broken to us uh, at a team meeting, just for the, for the listeners at home, on the 23rd of March, I believe, it was a Monday, uh, we had a 7.30 a.m. meeting at the High Performance Office in Perth. Um, and within five minutes of the meeting, Coach Colin Batch told us that the Olympics were no longer go, going to go ahead in 2020. Um, and I'll throw it over to you. How did you How did you feel when you heard that? That was pretty crazy. Yeah, it it was a crazy time. I had sort of inside knowledge. I was late to the meeting, um, <laughs> getting my breakfast from downstairs from the kitchen, and it was it was probably two minutes before the meeting was about to start. And I think everyone was under the impression that was just a normal uh, culture meeting from fit. But two minutes before the meeting starts, I was racing down the hallway to get up the stairs and I saw Batchy with a like a worried look on his face and uh, I think he just got a phone call just then uh, with confirmation of the Olympics being cancelled um, for us then to start our meeting and um, find out that. That's um, crazy. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I, I kind of, like the way you said it, I, I suspected that he'd known for at least a day. But... Then again, it was kind of weird that we didn't have any notice before 
the meeting, you know, like we um, obviously Fitzy, who you mentioned is our culture coach who lives over in Tweed and he was supposed to come over for a week because we had our um, European pro league league cancelled. So it was supposed to be like a week of kind of working with him and with the travel restrictions. Um, yeah. I, I found it pretty strange that he was, he was even coming over and then, and then we were hit with that. So that's surprising that you tell me that um, you reckon Batchy just got the call. Yeah. We were, I was also worried because he, he's a bit older man and hmm. sort of at risk at the moment. So yeah. I, I thought he, he shouldn't even be there to begin with. Um, You're talking about Fitzy. But yeah. Yeah. Fitzy. But yeah, we did. I think we, we found out that meeting and training was scheduled to go ahead. And um, I think we all decided to get it. It just wasn't safe. It wasn't the right thing to do. And people wanted to get home to their uh, loved ones and family and friends and sort of support them. Yeah, that's true. And for you, um, Personally, I know we went around the room and spoke about like how we felt in that immediate moment. But um, yeah, how did it hit you? Poor. Um, yeah, I think I was a bit devastated. Um, you sort of been training for a few years now to to get to that point, and um, I was pretty fit. I was pretty <laughs> fit. I'm sort of lost a bit right now, but um, nah, going through, I was a bit devastated, but it was. It was always going to happen. Like it was only it was only getting worse. Um, probably relieved that they've sort of said it earlier than later. Um, but it's it's yeah, I was devastated but relieved at the same time. Um, yeah. But also, just right now, I don't know where I'm at. We don't know. We don't have a return date, Tom, and we're sort of sitting in limbo. Um, probably like almost everyone in the world. What do we do? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, you've been telling me that you've been going for 5K time trials. Well, you're allowed, <laughs> out, you're allowed, you're allowed out for exercise. So, um, and uh, it, it, it only lasts about 45 minutes of time trial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's good. No, I agree with you. I agree with you. It's pretty weird. Um, it's a weird feeling to, to kind of have your sights set on like a really close immediate goal, like a July Olympics and then, and then have that postponed again. There is definitely a period where um, where you have no idea what to do with yourself. But as you've as you've said, you've found time to fight with Brooke and that sort of stuff. So filling in the time. For sure. How else are you filling in yeah, the time? Yeah, we've got, I've, on. I've got uni. Um, yeah. I'm not yet bored enough to do my uni. So <laughs> I'll have to knuckle down on that. I've got two assignments due in about uh, on the twenty first. 21st of um, April. Well, that might be time for this this little segment to be produced and, and put out. So what are you what are you working on? Uh, okay, I've got some advice. I'll have to um, read my assignments. I've got one uh, diagnose a plan. I'm just actually reading the title of the assignment. <laughs> what are you studying? Uh, I'm doing a Bachelor of Education. Yeah, okay. So I'm following through with some um, important learning. But as a teacher, you're sort of forced to cram and make do with what you got. And so just training that element yeah. of my um, degree. True. So I'll sort of fit in in the last week. I'll be able to fit in my last two assignments and uh, see how good they go. Right. And so obviously we're, we're not quite in that professional athlete category, far from it, um, in fact. Although perhaps out as about as professional as any athletes rolling around at the moment um, mm-hmm. with everything that's going on with COVID, but it's important to you to to keep studying while you while you're playing, or why do you do it? I just do it for for a plan, sort of um, outside of hockey. Um, I do get a bit not bored of hockey. I sort of like um, fatigued in the brain, just thinking hockey over and over again. So it's sort of a nice little release to learn something new and something challenging uh, in terms of like um, bettering uh, myself to better someone else. And it's, I've done a couple um, tracks at a few schools now. I'm sort of like three quarters of the way through and that's the fun bit going into, into schools and teaching the kids how to do something. And it's quite rewarding uh, teaching them new math, math uh, equations and math um, sort of situations where they can, where they learn, you see them start to understand the, the dynamics of what's going on. That's the rewarding sort of part of me. And that's why I'm sort of uh, taking towards teaching. Although being a PE teacher is the ultimate goal, I think. <laughs> playing, playing games all day outside on the lawn um, yeah, would be the best, 
best job it could be. That's fair. And as I, as I sort of go with all this homeschooling right now, I reckon teachers might get a little upgrade in pay because parents would be, they know how hard the teaching is and uh, they'll, they'll be happy to give the kids back. Can you get them back to school? Yeah, true. Yeah. People might not know. In fact, I'm, I'm fairly certain most people wouldn't know this about you, but the, you're the reigning Kookaburra Connect 4 champion. Uh, yeah, well, that was, pre, that was pre-Tim Brand. Right. Uh, yeah, can he beat you now? Well, he, he thinks he has a mass. I think he, he thinks he has a mass brain, but he hasn't come. He hasn't come up against the. Um, the king. Ricky Bobby. Ricky Bobby. What from? Is that Talladega Nights song? The um, always four moves ahead. Of, what's that song? That's anyway. Hilltop Hoods. Hilltop Hoods. What's his? The, yeah. Okay. Oh, Bobby, Bobby Fisher. Fisher. Bobby Fisher. Bobby Fisher. Yeah, the right. chess champ. So you're the so, real Bobby Fisher. That's what you're saying. I am the real Bobby Fisher. So and Connect Force is a fun game, and it's it is Mac, and um, I haven't I haven't yet found a challenge in the team. Oh really? Okay. A challenge, yeah, sorry. Move on to to something else that I've been that I've been looking at for a while, and it's your your biography on the FIH Pro League website. Um, I don't know if you. I've only just discovered these today. FIH um, Pro League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've got your own bio on here. And what it has is a Q&A with Jeremy Haywood. Right. I don't know when I would have done this. <laughs> I'm just going to go through I'm going to go through a few of your answers and just see if you can um just shed some light. So one question is uh best advice you've ever been given and from who? Do you want to have a crack at answering that yourself or do you want to go with what you've got down here? Let's go with what you got down here. So you've got, it's from Dylan Wotherspoon. And you said he once told you, you must cross the river before you tell the crocodile he has bad breath. <laughs> <laughs> Can you just extrapolate on that a little bit for me? What do you, what do you mean by that? Because that is a um, sound piece of advice. Well, quite a dangerous situation to be in. So Very dangerous. As a Darwin boy, you'd know that as well. Yeah, you, you must never insult people until you're uh, until you're done with their needs. I guess I don't know. <laughs> I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know where that came from. Well, I'm telling you, this is these are your words. Apparently, we're going to move on. Uh, you mentioned here three words that describe. <laughs> this is classic. Three words that describe you. Very very cool. Uh, <laughs> if you could have any job in the world, what would it be? A food and beverage taste tester. Your worst quality on the field. I don't know if I have a bad quality. These are serious. I'm not joking. Here. Where? <laughs> I'm not making this up. I promise you. Um, on the FIH player profiles on, on Pro League. <clears throat> uh, I'm trying to think back when, when, when we would have done this. Is that... Look, we, we fill in, people might not know, but we fill in a lot of Q&As and we don't know when they're going to pop up. So it is possible, mate, that you didn't take this one that seriously. And it is one of the ones that, is readily accessible to the public. <laughs> Last question for you for, from the q and got a couple more questions, but this one's good. Your favourite teammate and why? Do you want to hazard a guess at who you chose? Oh, well, if I've got a bit of information from uh, Dylan Wallace, man, I, I, it might be Dylan again. It is indeed Dylan again. Favourite teammate and why Dylan Wallerspoon because he lacks in a lot of departments such as his appearance, his communication, his abilities... And this all makes me feel better about myself. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> so a lot of think, huh? I think we might have been sitting next to each other when we were doing this. And, uh, <laughs> uh, that they're good, actually. They're very, very good. Well, anyway, we're going to go on to some other quick questions. The the crocodile advice is great, but do you have any other advice for any um, kids that might be listening, or or perhaps a past self? Any good nuggets of wisdom yeah i can just enjoy yourself have have a bit of fun laugh smile and celebrate too that, that, that was that'd be my biggest sort of advice to my younger self or to anyone sort of coming up it's not not all about the hard work it's you gotta you gotta enjoy the hard work so otherwise you're not going to go far nice like what you do exactly nice one all right a few quick questions Best player you've ever played with? With? Oh, there's, there's a few and 
sort of got lucky enough to play with. So there was like D.Y., Jamie, Nolsey. There's a few up there. That were, one, Tom Craig's pretty handy. No, but yeah, they're, they're, I'll put you in that category. There's a few guys that I got lucky enough to play with. It was, um, it was sort of surreal. Like you sort of look up. I've got a Legends of um, Hockey poster um, somewhere around here. Not hanging up. Maybe hanging up somewhere. I would also say, got DIY, yeah. DIY Rob, Nolsey and Jamie. Um, so yeah, they were sort of guys I looked up to and I was lucky enough to sort of play with all of Pretty them. Pretty elite guys, especially in the World Cup. I think they were, they were probably, you know, they were the core of that team, I guess, weren't they? Yep. And um, it also might not be public knowledge, but you did actually win a, a, an auction for a Mark Knowles signed stick. <laughs> That I can't see on the wall behind you, but it is there. There it is. Can you tell there me what you paid for? <laughs> it was. Um, I was having a bit of fun. I was sort of bumping up the auction, and I ended up. I like in the. I like the piece because my head's front and center, right next to the World Cup. <laughs> it looks good. <laughs> so you were bumping up the price, and then got stuck with it. Is that what happened? Yeah. Well, I was happy to stick with it. It's gonna. I should have actually sold it when he retired. I would have made a fair bit of money. That's true, but it's a pretty good piece of memorabilia to have Nolsey's signed stick. One, one of ten. One of ten. I've got a signed Auskick AFL ball of of Nolsey's. I might frame that as well. Best player you've ever played against? Played against? I don't know. Probably Mo, Mo Furster. He probably wouldn't know who I was, but I sort of, I was I was on the end of his career, but I got to I got to watch him when he was in his peak, and he was sort of just he just controlled the game. He was. He was just an absolute weapon in the midfield. And then he sort of moved back to the defensive area and it was, he just controlled the game more, even more back there. Um, he was sort of on the... Oh, getting older as I was sort of coming into the hockey scene. So I never got to play against him at his absolute peak, but the best player that I watched. Yeah, nice. I actually, I was meaning to ask you earlier, speaking of players at their peak, two NT boys who are probably among the best best players to have done the jersey since maybe 2000, Des Abbott and Joel Carroll. Pretty pretty awesome players to watch. I remember Joel, I don't think I've ever beaten him in a contest. I don't know. I can't remember anyone ever dribbling the ball past him um, and also a wicked, wicked passer of the ball. And, and Des, you know, often we go to training and people will just be talking for, you know, 10, 15 minutes about one training session that Des did or... Okay, or something like that. Do you want to just share a little bit about them? And obviously, they're they're close mates of yours. So yeah, I reckon I'd I'd be really curious to hear about what you your thoughts of them as players and and being I guess mentors for you coming over to Perth. Yeah, so super close with Joel. So I was I never um, I never got to play for Australia with uh, Des. So because um, he was sort of on the way out after London, he missed that selection and it sort of all fell out from there. Um, but yes, real close with Joel, training day in day out with him. I I realised early I wasn't I wasn't the same player as him. I sort of couldn't really um, I couldn't really steal much off of his game because he he had a seriously good eye, seriously good tackle, and I I didn't really have the same sort of abilities. I had a different sort of style to him, but he he could pass the ball. He was um, he was a, a good defender and a good outlet. He, he just lacked no overhead, the old Joel. <laughs> but um, he, he was just a bit unfortunate that his body couldn't keep up with his, um, with his mindset. But um, a good player and a good, a good bloke as well. Um, I loved hanging out with him. He moved to Melbourne, so I don't get to spend much time with him now. But, um, and Des, uh, he, well, growing up, because um, Leon played a fair bit with him for the state, uh, territory stuff, and... Um, under 21s, under 18s, and he just won with that sort of group going up. He won under 15s, 18s, and it was silver medalist at one under 21s. And I got to watch a few tournaments because Leon was at the same tournament, and he was just he got player of the tournament probably uh, more times than Ed. I reckon he was he was an absolute jet. Probably won run the territory some uh, state um, some state champs. So he, he was growing up. He was an absolute machine, and he was just. He got a bit of size on him and he was too strong. In the circle, he could score from anywhere and he just hit the ball so hard. It was ridiculous. Yeah, it's funny. I was I mentioned before, but people talk about Des with 
almost a bit of romance, you know, like when, when people talk about him, like some of the stuff that he could do, it's, it's as if I remember. Yeah, exactly. I remember Swanee telling a story about how I think Des hit all four corners, just like in, in one flow drill. It was top left, top right, bottom left, bottom right. Like no problem. There's no, no stopping it. If he got the, got the ball going on goal. We're going to go back to the start, if that's right with you. Yep. Long time ago. Born, it is. How long ago is that? 2000, oh, moving when you were born, when you were born, oh, 27 years now, 20, what, 27, I know that, 27, added, you're kidding me, they added, they added another year this year, you're, tw- <laughs> you're 27 years old, jeez, yeah, that is new, all right, mate, well, 27 years old, winding into the twilight of your career, going back to the start, you're from, uh, you're from NT, you're a Darwin boy, Darwin, born and bred. Only one in the squad currently from Darwin. Yep. But from a long list of very successful NT kookaburras. Can you tell me what it was like a little bit just growing up in Darwin briefly? Um, can leave hockey out of it for now and we'll get to that. But just in general, what was it like growing up in the NT? Oh, I loved it. It was the best experience. It was sort of everything. So it's like a small sort of town. Everything's so close. I could be in the city within two minutes, be out in the bush within five minutes. And um, you sort of, you didn't really know everyone, but you sort of, all the schools knew each other. Um, it's not like it was too sort of out of place, but it was small, tight net, and um, really good, actually. Yeah, loved it. I loved it. it yeah, and it allowed me sort of being, being able to travel around within two minutes, allowed me to play different sports and, Get out and about. I could, I could play. I played a bit of cricket. Played a bit of rugby. Um, gymnastics when I was young. Gymnastics, Joe. Yeah. yeah, I got a few. What was your discipline? Um, well, I did a bit of floor, um, high bar, rings. Um, what else is there? There's did the. Yes, um, to me. Could you could you replicate some of your floor routine? No, no. I, I've lost... I couldn't still do a backflip. I can still do a backflip. Seriously? Off the dead? No, not onto the ground, but off like a little bit of a height. Yeah. But okay. not from ground to ground. Right. Okay. Okay. So, so you mentioned quite a few sports there. I actually heard it said by someone, I can't remember who... Actually, I think it was yourself, that you could have been successful at any sport. For those of you who don't know what Joe looks like, he's a, he is a reasonable athlete, although he's not the fastest, fittest, or the strongest in the squad. He's a pretty good athlete. So, <laughs> Jerry, with, with, is, that, is that true? Could you have played any sport? Is that what you did? You played every sport growing up and, and ended up with hockey or what happened? Uh, yeah, I think I was sort of just a bit advanced when I was young. I was a bit, a bit better um, physically than everyone else um, and sort of everyone's caught up to me now. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'd like to think I could. I yeah. sort of back myself a bit. Um, <laughs> AFL, I watch the AFL and I watch it live and when it's on. Big yeah, fan. I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm that fit. I don't know yeah. if I can run. Well, they do some big distances. and They do. Carlton fan, so, though, huh? Huge. huge Massive Carlton, Carlton fan. fan. Right, okay. So, the season, they're not going too bad this year, are they? Yeah, they've, they've lost one. That's not bad. One. That is not bad. When was the last time they lost one for a season? Oh, I don't know. Probably you never. You have to go way back. Yeah. Um, and and you ended up in hockey. Yeah, hockey. Mum mum was a big sort of powerhouse pusher behind that. She she coached me all through juniors. Uh, she didn't really push me. She sort of she loved her hockey and she played for the the state uh, for the territory when she was growing up. And she just loved giving back to the sport. So she coached um, our club team Waratahs, um, basically me and my brother all the way through under 10, 13, 16. and then she sort of stepped back when we when it's the seniors. Sure. So she could sit back and enjoy um, uh, her work, basically. The fruits so, of her labour. Exactly. So she, nice. um, it, she was there, there the whole way through and Dad was also watching, supporting. Um, it was sort of... Hockey is a big family thing, community thing, and uh, it was like that. You sort of... Big, big community at hockey. Yeah. And you mentioned, so, so playing with your older brother, um, inevitably... Am I wrong in saying that it was you moved to Perth to to be a part of the AIS, but it wasn't 
it wasn't your, your typical move whereby you're selected in the squad and then you move over. Um, can you tell us about moving to Perth? It was. Um, so before they had the squad, they had the, the AIS sort of scholarships. Mm. And I wasn't, Leon was, Leon already moved over. So I did my final year of school in 2010. Leon already moved that uh, over at the sweet 2009, I think. I'm not, yeah, rough dates. But um, then I, mum and dad sort of wanted to go help Leon out because he was struggling over here um, with housing and with like trying to settle himself down, uh, settle himself in, sorry. And then, um, so I got a, and it just so happened I got an AI scholarship. So I, I could train with the uh, squad in 2011 and it was sort of it was something I wanted to do but it was it was all fast-tracked at, at the same time because um, I didn't get to really enjoy like post school what they call what the gap year and the fun year or whatever they call it and then um, yeah I went straight to Perth and uh, flung straight into the training so it was yeah it was a wild experience but it was I was lucky enough to sort of move over with mum and dad back in with Leon and uh it was sort of, we had our own little family down here as well. Now I'm going to briefly interrupt here to introduce a feature of the show. We'll call it our Hero of Hockey segment. We know that community sport flourishes on the back of hardworking volunteers who give up their time and effort simply for the love of it. And we want to give you, the listener, the opportunity to contact us and tell us who deserves to be our Hero of Hockey for the week. Tell us who they are, what club they're from, and what they've done for the sport, and we'll give them and your club a shout-out. So, get in touch via our socials, and your nominee could be chosen for the next episode. To give you an idea, I'm going to start us off by giving you not one, but three heroes of hockey, all from my home club, Ride Hunters Hill Hockey Club, in Sydney, Australia. Our first two heroes of hockey are Brad Clary Parks and Phil Dasher Retford, who in the last few years have both notched up a whopping 1,000 games from the Mighty Panthers. To give you some perspective, that is 49 consecutive seasons playing hockey for the same club. Special shout out to Clary, who is both mine and one of the producer's first under-11s hockey coach. Our other hero of hockey for the week is Greg Finley, who is the juniors coaching coordinator at Ride and does a magnificent job managing the delivery of the club's junior coaching program alongside Larry McIntosh. You'll find him at the hockey club most nights of the week, either coaching a team, setting up drills or supporting other coaches. When he's not at the club, he's sending out weekly drills and session plans, and he also coaches for Hockey New South Wales. Greg basically does everything that's required to ensure the club's junior program runs smoothly, is fun for the kids and parents, and hopefully produces some future kookaburras and hockey roos. Well done, Greg, and thanks for everything you do for your sport. Well, that's our Hero of Hockey segment done for the week. Now let's get back to the interview where Jez is telling us what it took to crack into the kookaburra squad and discusses some of the highs and lows of his Kookaburra's career so far. With a sport like hockey, I guess, and um, for those of listeners, I guess, who don't know how it works, basically there's a, a squad of 27 um, each year that, that are the scholarship holders, and then there's a development squad outside of that. Um, and I guess everyone's encouraged to move to Perth because it's kind of like a hotbed of, of high-performance hockey in Australia, which can be a pretty long way, considering a lot of, a lot of people who are in the squad don't come from Perth. But I guess you are lucky in a way that there are already a few Darwin boys already over in Perth with you that helped the transition. Yeah, so there was, um, there was a few down here, actually. So uh, Joel and Des were obviously here training um, in the squad. And then a couple of my hockey mates moved over as well. So Taz and, and then eventually Dwayne moved over as so we had a little sort of Darwin set up uh, in Perth, and and we all we were all here sort of mucking around almost. And there was like um, Joel and Des were there to help. They they sort of got me comfortable with the team. Sort of it was easy to slide in, especially with them there. I mean, if they went there, it would have been a little bit more difficult sort of to make friends and sort of hang out with the same people that they were hanging out with. But yeah, it, it made the transition a little bit easier for sure. Yeah, true. Do you ever feel like you, you moved over a bit too early or? Uh, yeah, because I moved over, what, just before, like, just turning 18. Um, I mean, and you still have your bit of, you have your house parties when you're sort of 17, 16, and that was happening in Darwin. Moved over to 18, sort of didn't know any school friends. Uh, I, 
yeah, I, I do think I moved over a little bit too early. Or the other option was to move over earlier, make a few, yeah, make true. a few friends from school, year twelve, do year twelve here, and sort of um, and go out through them with them onwards. So yeah, I, I think I came in a little, a little bit of a weird, weird patch with no friends and only hockey friends, and you sort of find yourself only hanging out with hockey people, talking hockey, and that's where I sort of. And I need to sort of do something different. Yeah, true. I guess you need to be be helpful in that regard, or is it all online? Or yeah, I started uh, internal study, so it was it was a good way to find friends and sort of copy off people, um, <laughs> get, sort of manipulate them, get them to do your work for you. It was um, <laughs> no, it was it was it was it was definitely needed to be able to make friends at the uni. It was just it was just hockey, hockey, hockey for one one stage there. Yeah, yeah, fair. And so you you moved over in twenty eleven, um, but you didn't make your debut for the Cougars until twenty fourteen. But pretty quickly after that, you you went to the World Cup, um, where you were named the junior player of the tournament. I was just having a look at your stats, Joe. Pretty impressive actually, and <laughs> did surprise me to be honest. You've scored sixty five goals in one hundred and fifty six games. As a drag oh, flicker, really? that's 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 pretty good. That's that's goal every third game, I guess. That's very impressive. I didn't I didn't know that, Tom. By the way, well, wait, what's that? I think for I people who can't see at home, Jerry's got a whiteboard behind him <laughs> that has a tally of his caps and his goals. But you scored three goals in that World Cup, which is no mean feat considering that um, you were probably behind the likes of Kieran Govers and and Chris Sorella in the flicking hierarchy, and they were having pretty fantastic tournaments, but. Um, I guess most impressive is that you'd only played 16 games before you went to that World Cup. Can you tell us a little bit about the lead up and, and that whole experience? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll just backtrack a little bit here. From, from that 2011 is when I sort of, I, got, I come a bit early in that sort of time where I was a bit unsure what was happening. So I did lose my way a little bit and I had a, I ended up having a bit of fun and sort of drinking a fair bit. And then it was this, it was 2012 where I, I'd lost that scholarship and I lost everything. So I wasn't even training with the group and it was, it was Olympic year and I was sort of young and wasn't ready. And, and I, I sort of understood that, but I, I then realized that this is what I want to play hockey for Australia. So, so 2013, I really knuckled down and got, got fit and got strong and probably got a little bit too, too big after the gym. So it was yeah, 2013. I got back into the squad, training, training, and I didn't get my chance to 2014 because it was it was a, like a cracking team, especially that defensive lineup was like like Joel, Fergie, and Noel's Easterello, Devo. There's there was uh, Brownie was in there. There was heaps. There's I could go through and name. I was sort of last last on the run for um, defenders and um, just filling in. So then. I did. I did train pretty hard. I worked pretty hard, and it was lucky enough to get my chance in 2014 as on Shaft March, I think it was. And it was wasn't many games at all until the World Cup, and I sort of was just in. I was enjoying getting better, challenging at training, and just I was I was enjoying my hockey, and sort of uh, showed when uh, Rick gave me the opportunity to play in the World Cup, and that led me to the World Cup where. It was, it was, I was young, 21, and it's like, not that experienced. Um, I didn't know what was going on. It was, it was the, it was a World Cup in The Hague, a joint World Cup. So it was massive. Um, people, people were watching all over the world and especially people in, in Netherlands, they'd come out in thousands to watch. And it was, it, the whole stadium, it was a soccer stadium. So the turf was laid in a soccer stadium. They had 15,000 capacity plus a second turf, they had another couple thousand there and, it was it was just a good experience. Yeah, I think um, a lot of people have mentioned that with a sport like ours, very rarely do we have the opportunity to to really see what it's like to be, you know, one of the the most professional athletes, like the the top codes, you know, your footballs and um, your American codes. And a lot of people have mentioned that the World Cup in the Hague was was a little taste of that. It definitely did look like a pretty professionally run World Cup. It was, and it was it was it was run so smoothly. We, I mean. We sort of didn't even know what was going on. We showed up for our games and then um, back to our back to our hotel. And we didn't stay at the tournament hotel, so we were in even um, more isolated from from the whole setup. So, I mean, I enjoyed it. I was a bit young, sort of naive, didn't really realise how many people were watching. Didn't really have any 
um, thoughts about uh, failure or anything like that. So it was all, it was all just, I was just having fun. Perfect. And, uh, and the results spoke for themselves. I mean, I think looking at the stats, Australia scored over 30 goals for the World Cup and conceded three or something like three. that and ended up winning yep. 6-1 in the final, which is a, which is a performance that um, I don't think many teams across many sports could say that they've had a more dominant World Cup. Um, how did it feel to be a part of that team? It was obviously so elite and with some of the players at their absolute prime. What was it like? It was, yeah, it was, it was actually a seriously awesome experience. And there was something, something weird happened that World Cup. So just pre, pre that World Cup, we had, no, oh, I don't know how many people know, but we had Simo and um, who was the other one? Rusty, uh, Russell Ford. They were also, they were in the and Russell and, Ford. Yep. And yep. Uh, they were, unfortunately, they were injured in a couple of warm-up matches against um, GB when we, uh, before the World Cup. So they broke on foot and uh, I think something, I can't, can't remember off the top of my brain, but yeah, so Goadsy, uh, Matt Goads and Tim Deven were brought into the um, team and they sort of, I don't know what they, I don't know what happened, but they brought a little bit of fire or something. We, most of the games, I think we scored within the first five minutes against these teams and we put teams on the back foot straight away. It was until, until the final um, where we got scored against first in the first five minutes or something like that. So, it was it was it was crazy. I don't know what happened. We it was just we were so aggressive, full press, um, flat out. It was the half, It was still halves then, um, two thirty-five minute halves. I'm pretty sure, and it was um, it was good to be involved. Yeah, and obviously Rick Charlesworth was the was the coach, and some of the things that you're talking about there, like the the halves and the um, and the full press, really would have played to kind of the fitness side of things, I guess. Um, the, the Kookaburras at the time were probably considered to be like an all-out offensive threat and just kind of ground teams into the into the dust, I guess, because because they were considered, I don't know, physically superior to oppositions. Or how 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 was the prep in that? And is that a fair comment or no? It was, it, yeah. It, the gameplay was sort of it was around pressure, and we we'd sort of put every time you got the ball, we'd we're going to put you under pressure and. Let's see how let's see how you operate under pressure. Let's see how accurate your passes are. How good your how good your everything is basically under pressure. So, and it was it was fitness basically. So we can we're going to chase you down all day and we'll see how good you are. And um, and we were just fit enough to do that for what six games or something. Just to, and because we had we had two days break between most games, we were able to sort of keep doing it game in game out, and it was just. We're just going to go harder than you, basically. We're going to run harder. We're going to work harder and see if you can keep up with us. Yeah, yeah. And it certainly looked that way. Watching watching from home, I remember watching all the games there and just thinking um, the Aussies are on another level. <clears throat> We're going to fast forward a little bit and talk about, because there was some time, obviously, that elapsed between uh, the dominance of the World Cup and, and the Rio campaign. I guess hockey is kind of um, in the like at the top flights, you kind of look at, look at a career in terms of cycles. So I guess there are probably two main, main things that, that most players look forward to playing for the country. One's the World Cup and one's the Olympics. So we're going to flip forward to the Olympics. Um, your first campaign, as you mentioned, the 2012 one you weren't involved with, um, but the, the 2016 one was something that was a pretty, well, it would have been a, yeah, it was it was quite the experience for you being selected as a reserve, which people talk about as being um, one of the hardest positions in in the in the sport, and perhaps one that's not really spoken about too much. So, do you want to just touch on touch on what that was and and how that played out? Uh, the whole the whole campaign, or well, I guess like from from your perspective, I know. So, the for people who don't know, sixteen athletes are selected to to go to an Olympics, and typically. The World Cup was 18, and I think all other tournaments, um, you take 18. So, 16 is, uh, is well, you know, 27 people in the squad who all live and train and, and um, are pretty much best mates. To, to cut that into 16 is pretty difficult, and that means that people miss out. Um, and for yourself, you were one of the reserves going to Rio. Um, do you want to talk about, first of all, missing selection, and second of all, yep. um, the experience of being a reserve? 
yeah, well, yeah, it was, it was going on from that. I was sort of selective for everything from that, and I was sort of confident. I was really, I didn't want to say complacent, but I think, I think I was. I sort of got overconfident, and I was just too, you know, chest out to everything, you know. So that was sort of, it was bad for me in a way where I, I went to the Olympic cycle, went through, and I was, I, I, in my brain, I thought, yeah, I'm no worries here. I've, I've played everything since, since my debut. And it was, and it just worked out that I just, I, I didn't, I didn't make the team. And it was probably the best, the best thing, uh, looking back on it from, I was devastated when it first happened. I was filthy. I was angry. I couldn't, it was, it was a struggle to go back to training and stuff like that. But it was, looking back on it now, it was probably one of the best things that's ever happened to me to realize that it, it doesn't, it doesn't just get given to you. You have to actually earn it every single time. And it was something that, I well, I go to training now. If I see myself slacking off, I say, "Well, up to you, mate. You do what you want to do." I sort of that's my own like thought process coming coming to training and when I catch myself being lazy and stuff like that. So yeah, looking looking back on it, it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. Not getting selected to realize Just a bit of that, context. Sorry, so so um, people often ask us when when's the team going to be picked because there's obviously an Olympic squad that gets picked at the start of the year. And then with the Olympics being a European summer affair, often what happens is uh, we don't know the Olympic selection until, what, three, four weeks out from the actual, yeah. actual tournament. Um, yeah. So you're training, you're training more or less all, all year for that selection, for that one, one um, email to come out, I guess. And then in between selection and, and the selection of the reserves, there's another couple of weeks, right? It's yeah. a... That's a that's a difficult two week period. So how did you, I guess, yeah, just talk talk through selection and then talk through that kind of two weeks before before the reserve list came out and yeah, what happened in that space? It was yeah, it was quite it was quite different because um, my partner Brooke as well. She she was training all her all her regimes and stuff like that. So and she got she got the email the positive email. She was like she's happy to go and I could see her. She didn't want to sort of celebrate because we lived together. She didn't want to celebrate too hard, but. And I didn't want to sort of bring her down. Um, it was sort of we were weird in the same house. She didn't want to rub it in my face, and I didn't want to bring her down. We were sort of like, sort of just brushing past each other. Oh, nice work, blah blah blah. So it was part of me was like, I want to be happy for her. So I showed up for her um, ticket collection. They do like some heaps of presentations with the AOC, and I had to see the other guys receive their ticket collection, which is like uh, just a big, uh, a big plane ticket they get that they're saying they're going to Rio and stuff like that. So I showed up and I saw that and I, I was I was trying to be happy, but at the same time inside I was devastated. Um, so I put on a front almost. I, you have a little, you have about a week off to sort of take everything in and understand what just went on. But yeah, put on a put on a mask and sort of rock up the training. You realise that there is the selections for two more to go over as reserves. And I... I quickly realised it'd be a good opportunity to sort of learn even more. Um, I was still only young; I was 23, 24, something like that. So it was sort of it was all happening pretty quickly, and I I don't know if I had my best thought thought process, but it was like just go and try to enjoy it, see how see how you go. It was there was still practice matches being played, and um, you know you weren't you weren't playing your best hockey. I, I knew I knew I wasn't playing my best hockey. I knew I wasn't sort of in the right headspace to be training and stuff like that. So I just was, I was pretty keen to sort of still be involved in the Olympic cycle and get there. And um, I was lucky enough to be selected into the 16, 17, 18. So um, it was sort of bittersweet, but it was at the end of the end of the thing, it was sort of worthwhile. Yeah. Just with the, the relationship with Brooke, you mentioned earlier about when you move to Perth, um, often your only friends are those in your team and the, there's a big hockey, hockey, hockey. It's kind of hard to break out of that. Um, so I imagine that would have been a little bit tough as well, being obviously a lot of your best mates have realised their dream to be an Olympian and um, for yourself, like I guess you'd want to share that with them, but also um, such you know, the disappointment of not making it yourself did that extend to like how does that play out in a group in a group setting? Um, in terms of the squad that I was with, yeah, yeah. Well, I think they were a bit more thoughtful of me um, rather than me to them. Sort of, they were reaching out to me saying, like, 
hard luck, um, blah, 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 all their, all their messages coming through is sort of, you sort of, you wanted to reply, but you didn't, you didn't reply. I, I, I said, thanks, mate, and moved on, sort of. And it was, it was trying to, I don't know, my personal, I was devastated, but I was also trying to support them at the same time. So, yeah, you go get it, mate. Go on. But, yeah, I, there was a time, there was a time after that where I sort of realised the week, maybe going through, you realise that, well, hang on, I can still, ha I can still have a huge hand in these guys going, all right. In the Olympic cycle, if I if I'm if I'm down in the dumps, they're going to sort of start worrying about me. They're going to be texting me, thinking what I'm doing rather than thinking they're they're hockey. So I sort of needed to put on a like a positive sort of confident uh, front for the guys, so they can they can just worry about their own thing and play some good hockey. Yeah, nice. Back to the actual selection of the reserve. Obviously, you were you were doing enough to be picked as that 17th and 18th man. Um, once you were picked, did was that a bit of bit of relief, or what was the what was the emotion that hit you after you got picked? I'm not sure how the email came. Out. I think was it was it an email? Oh, I'm not sure. Yeah, it was an email. Yep. So we yeah we got told that we're heading over, and because we we were still unsure about what the sort of dynamic was, and we've just um, we were just told that it's the, it's the worst position to be in. You're sort of you're within arm's distance, but you still can't play. Um, so I didn't, I didn't know my mindset sort of going in as a reserve, and um, it was weird because as the more you go on, like the more the more the likelihood of injuries is going to pop up as well. Because um, I'm pretty sure uh, Tristan White was selected was selected in the 16, but was injured before the reserve selection. Am I am I correct there? So it was sort of you still that sort of put another thing in my mind. So I've, I'm still a chance here. I'm still can I can still uh, make an influence, make a positive sort of contribution here. So we found out, and then going through through the like I don't know what I didn't know what to think. I I only got told negative things that after after selection saying it's the worst position. But yeah, going over it was, it was sort of the best time over in Rio, sort of. Just on the outskirts, um, uh, I would have I would have gave anything to be involved, but still, I, I enjoyed my time there. Yeah, for sure. And sitting on the sideline, while um, I guess there aren't, uh, I guess you couldn't really say it any other way. The the Rio campaign was was um, quite disappointing for for everyone involved. Um, as a reserve sitting there, it's a difficult position whereby you're involved and you're watching your best mates um, play and try and realise their dream, but also you're it's a difficult, I could imagine it's a, well, I know, but it's a difficult environment to kind of find yourself in. How did you feel like while all that was going down and, and, and watching the guys play and yeah, what was it like? Yeah, it was pretty hard to watch sort of, we were, we were in limited meetings. We sort of, we were, we were staying on the outside as reserves. Uh, it was pretty hard to get in and out. Um, so therefore we were in limited meetings with the team. So we weren't, like one hundred percent involved in in their their plan and their their structures and stuff like that. We we still had a good idea of what they wanted to do and where they were sort of aiming to go. And I don't know. I I, I can't explain what happened. It was just sort of a, something just wasn't working, wasn't clicking. Um, the whole. I mean, we won the first we won the first game against New Zealand. It was like scraped through. Then we two one or something like three one maybe. Just it just wasn't working for us. I'm not sure what happened I, I i don't know yeah okay. it was just tough to watch tough to watch from the sidelines seeing like oh from the selection the coach had belief in those 16s and they sort of uh, i guess he believed in them more than he believed in me that's that's the fact of the matter so i don't know how i could have helped and i don't know what i could have done it was just hard to watch from the outside for sure and yet you you credit the experience of being one of the best things to ever happen to you definitely it was it was the experience there over there was uh, unreal. Um, the experience of the dev devastation was something I'll never forget because, it, and it's going to, it's going to be so important for my future future selections. For it was for Tokyo, for uh, and for tournaments um, beyond. So it's some, the whole the whole campaign, the months before and the months after, is something it, it'll be so important. Yeah, true. Moving on then, with uh, obviously you're a young young cookware then, twenty three, twenty four. 
Um, I said you're in the twilight of your career, but realistically, you're probably approaching your peak years at 27. There's a lot, a lot of good hockey left in you. 28 is the uh, peak. 28 is the peak. Is that what they say? 28 to 32. Isn't that the performance zone? Well, for hockey, I guess. Yeah, Not true. for uh, AFL would be about 20. What? Two, three. 22, 23 is a performance zone for AFL. Oh, maybe I don't know. Maybe higher. Like five. <laughs> Nothing, Martin. Dustin Martin, they're pretty old now. Yeah, he's, uh, he's pretty good. Well, we'll stick with hockey. We'll get on for later if you want. But obviously now you're, you're, well, I guess you're pretty much a mainstay in the team. Um, last year, you tied second, I think, in the 2019 Kookaburra's Player of the Year voting. Is that right? Well, I claimed it. There was, it was, I think it was... Uh, I don't, there was no chart that came out that was a, of the order. It was just Batchy announcing the names, and I was, I was, pretty on your way up to steady. the stage to collect when he. I was pretty. They said my name, so I stood up and <laughs> I need to be followed by Eddie Offenden. So, I was, so um, I didn't know what was happening there. You had a ripper. You had a ripper year. You scored a lot of goals. You played. <laughs> um, you played most games. Every game. Oh yeah, a couple I missed. I mean, just a bit of rest from Narragin or something like that. Sure. So between between Rio, obviously the experience of Rio, and um, now I guess we've gone almost a full cycle. What would typically be a full cycle, um, had not there be the intervention of, of COVID nineteen. But new coaching staff, new squad. How's the last couple of years been for you and and your progression and um, I guess your enjoyment of hockey. So Bassi's come in with a new he's with his own sort of team coaching team. And he's brought in a new style. He was he was originally, or he's been coaching all over. He's done Belgium, New Zealand, most recently, and now Australia. So he's been coaching all over, and he sort of brought in a different um, game style for the Kookaburras, and it was the the half court sort of zonal press. And growing up in Australia, Australian hockey, you never, never sort of, no one's ever done that. Um, so we started from almost scratched for that structure, that style of hockey. And um, we struggled early because we didn't sort of know the uh, ins and outs of the whole setup and how to play it. So, but it was, I reckon it was, it was good for me because it, it changed, it changed the game a little bit. I have to think a little bit differently about, um, about skills and stuff like that. You have to get a little bit better at hockey rather than just um, trying to, just out muscle and outbeat other players, basically. So you have to sort of outsmart them now with this half court structure, and um, it was it was a good change. Yeah, you're saying with so with full press, um, your role basically is just to run with someone until they don't run anymore, or or they turn the ball over, basically. Whereas with the zone, you've got to be thinking about a whole bunch of different players who are coming in and out of your zone. Um, so it was a welcome change. And uh, you're also a member of the 2017 winning uh, World League World League Series final um, winning team, which was pretty big, and I guess a step in a, well, a good positive um, step in the right direction for for this squad. In between then and now, um, have things changed? And and had the had the Olympics been this year, um, who would have been the teams to 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 watch out for? I'll skip straight to the Olympics because I don't want to give too much away on the game plan. <laughs> the Olympics. Smart, I was just come, testing so. you. That's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So Belgium, I think well, no one at the moment um, would have been a um, hard team to beat. I mean, the Dutch are always good. Germany, they seem to always pop up the right time. Olympic cycle. Um, India, they've sort of now I've got um, Chris and uh, Graham Reed over there, so they're they're stepping up. It's it's. I mean, it's a, it's a hand in the hat to who wins Olympics, really. It's um, the little things that are going to count the most. Any team from, from rank number one to probably rank number 10 could, could win the Olympics. Um, and it's just, that's how, that's how fine it gets. Obviously, as a, as a Darwin boy, we're just going to finish with this. The hockey in, in, in Darwin at the moment and in the NT... Um, is it is it struggling a bit? Do you have much to do with with hockey over there? Obviously, being in Perth would be a bit difficult to to contribute. But um, yeah, what are your thoughts? 
yeah, oh, it is it is struggling. That's that's obvious, and that's um, it's. I mean, we've just the new hockey ones just come out, and we've um, we didn't we couldn't build a territory side because of money issues, I believe, or something. Something something fell through. There was um, they've changed all the dynamics of the structure and all that stuff. So we we didn't get out. We weren't able to build a territory team, and that's that was huge devastation and effect on the um, hockey community up there because they don't really have now they don't have a goal to go towards the men and the women so the juniors are coming up and there's less people playing now there's um we're doing what what is it under under 16s is now nine aside um so we can't even field six teams in under 16s uh, so it's the juniors are sort of struggling and it's sort of it's in combination with the AFLW coming along like the, the young girls are sort of getting attracted to football now um there's a bit more sort of attractive sort of stuff um and hockey's sort of just losing its interest a bit and pro league's trying to sort of do its thing do its bit by giving back and, and being on the tv a fair bit but yeah other sports are just dominating up in the territory and i try i mean i don't get back nearly as often as i like i mean i'd, I'd Jamie went back for a little coaching pen there. I couldn't even get back to help him there. So um, I try to, if I can, I'll go back and do clinics, but just to sort of get people involved again. But yeah, I don't get back nearly as often as I like. Yeah, I mean, it's such a shame. Like NT, especially with the likes of what we mentioned before with Des and Joel, are pretty overrepresented in the, in the um, I guess, Australian hockey community. The, there's a, so many great players to come from there. Um, yourself included and and your partner Brooke obviously it is such a shame especially because like we we do go and play in Darwin we see how much people in Darwin love the game and and they always turn out well and to be honest the crowds we get in Darwin are sometimes much better than the crowds we'd get in in Sydney for example um and I've seen the way that you kind of interact with the with the crowd and that's that's pretty beautiful as well I mean you you go up and spend a lot of time with the with the young kids who come out with their hockey sticks and um chat to them on the fence so it does certainly appear that your heart's well in Darwin and, and um, yeah, I guess it's, it is a shame that, that the sport's kind of, well, struggling, struggling out yeah. there. So de- yeah, so Joel's moved to Melbourne, but Des has moved back to Darwin and he's coaching, I'm pretty, or he was meant to be coaching under 18's um, territory side this year, so which I think now has been cancelled. Um, so he's sort of back there and that's sort of something I want to do as well, go back and live there as well as sort of give back to the hockey community so they helped me in my career and something i'd like to do go back coaching and um and teaching sort of the young coaching and teaching back in the territory but yeah so Des is there helping out as much as he can but it's the interest that's struggling i mean there's people just sort of floating off now it's footy's taking over rugby sort of got a fair few people cricket's also popular up there but yeah it's, it's something I need to sort of invest a bit more time into. I'm I'm sure of it. (laughs) And outside of hockey, obviously you've made mention that you want to settle in Darwin. Are you much of a fisherman, Jerry? There's obviously a lot of barrier to be caught out there. Do you fish a bit or? Oh. (laughs) Yeah, watch out. (laughs) If Ed's going to listen to this, he's going (laughs) to... He's going to come out and write a comment underneath saying... It's yes or no, do you? Well, I don't fish as much as... Oh, no, I don't fish at the moment. You don't fish? No. You do have a tattoo of a fish on your ankle, though, which would suggest otherwise. And it, like, people might it's infer not, that you love you love fishing. Uh, fishing. Fishing's... I reckon the fun bit's going out onto the boat and a little dinghy with your mates and having a few cans. That's the, the fun bit. And if you're lucky enough to catch dinner... That's a bonus. ...out of the water, that's a bonus. But you can also still buy dinner on the way home. And no harm done. No harm done. Perfect. All right, mate. We're going to leave it there. Speaking of bonus, it's been a bonus having you on board. First ever episode. Maybe last. Who knows? Who knows how this goes? But you've been good. Um, great, in fact, Jerry. Sure. I, was, I wanted to add a bit more humor, but it was, it was, we got a bit deep. you got to possess it to add it, Jerry. Anyway, on you, mate. Thanks for, thanks for having us. Thanks for spending the time with me. And, um, Oh, good to be I, on the help side. Did you want to thank you? Yeah, that's good. Give it a plug. Yeah, yeah. Just say, this has been the help side with Jeremy Hayward. This has been the help side with Jeremy Hayward. Big thank you to the production team of 
David Moore, Tim Collier, and Jimmy Stevens. Also, a shout out and big thank you to Luke Darcy, our graphic designer responsible for our snazzy logo. I highly encourage you to go to lukedarcy.com if you have any business requiring a graphic designer. He's fantastic and a very, very good bloke. He will sort you out, no problem. If you do like the help side, please like, subscribe, interact. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us at the help side on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. That's it for now. We'll catch you on the help side next time.